Sloan and Eric's children name. Oh my god, those those twins are the stars of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> they are chaotic. Truly, they are chaotic. They they are chaotic are. with a capital K. <laughs> Hi everyone! Welcome to another episode of Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. I'm Pate. And I'm Nellie. We are just a few days away from Christmas um, and to celebrate we will be unpacking a few 2020 Christmas releases to round out our holiday season. Before we introduce today's guest, we want to give a quick reminder up top to stick around until the end of the episode for some action items from us. And if you don't already, please give us a follow on Instagram at Feminist Fiends and follow us here on Spotify so you never miss an episode. Today we are joined by one of my absolute favorite people and dear friend, Steph Collins. Steph is a candidate for a master's in sports management at UMass Amherst with interests in the growth of women's sports and athlete activism, and she is a graduate marketing assistant at Spectra Experience. Steph is also a fellow graduate from Swanee, where she got her BA in politics. She has a love-hate relationship with Christmas movies and has been keeping up to date with all the latest Christmas releases, so we are excited to have her on today for this Christmas movie review episode. Welcome, Steph! Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. <laughs> so fun. I know as I was reading your bio and writing your bio, I was like, we should definitely have Steph back on to like talk about women's sports and athlete activism. But here we are talking about Christmas movies. So that'll be, that'll be in the future. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys had Tari on, right? That, yeah. That was yeah, such a fun so episode. She so. is um, definitely more engrossed in that space and has been for a while. But I do. Yeah, it is. That's another thing that I'm particularly passionate about spend a lot of time talking about um but yeah I would love to come back we'll see how this one goes if you guys even want me back but you know I've been wanting to have you on for a while now so I'm excited I think that this is the perfect episode to have you on but I think um we should give the listeners a little bit more context as to why that is (laughs) so if you want to tell us a little bit about um kind of the importance of unpacking christmas movies through a feminist lens but also just like your relationship with christmas movies yeah next of grad school and quarantine and everything yeah i don't know when i started like watching them a lot but um i can remember a few times in high school that we like would watch christmas movies close to the end of the semester during like stressful times um love actually was a big one for me that's like my go-to movie when I am like sad or just like don't want to be stressed about what's going on in my real life. That's kind of how I think about Christmas movies is that like a lot of them are pretty formulaic. They follow, although I think the ones we're looking at today, there are some um, deviations from that, but there, a lot of them are pretty formulaic, especially like the stereotypical ones on Hallmark or Lifetime. And they follow this same system for most of them. And they're also pretty low stakes problems. Usually again, there are real world issues in some of these, but, a lot of them have, you know, who's going to save the day, who's going to find the right Christmas tree, like who, like, you know, things that are not stressful. And so I think that's kind of became something that I would watch when I was stressed. But I also know that like a lot of them, 
I think it's important to critique them through a feminist lens because a lot of them do follow these tropes and it's almost like Disney princess movies in a way that you're like we put these women a lot of times put women in the same box and a lot of them and a lot of like have to be saved or are desperately looking for love and their life can't be fulfilling until they find it like there are these tropes that are in a lot of them so I think it's important to like look at them and address them even though we do find like I, I find joy from them because I but I also find joy with them because I do like to critique them and how silly they are and like make fun of them in a way it is a love-hate relationship um I I guess in my life people have started to realize how much I enjoy like my love-hate relationship with them because around the election I had been watching them uh, quite a bit that was my like stress reliever and I have a friend like my best friend from home who he uses my family's Netflix and he texted me and he was like hey just wanted to check in I noticed the only thing you've been watching again first week of November <laughs> has been Christmas movies and I I know that can sometimes mean you're not doing well so it just he was like treading on eggshells <laughs> and then I also found out I was like you've been watching stuff you don't usually watch either and I found out he is dating someone in her new he was on this like fourth or fifth day with her and brought her like first time she was hanging out of his apartment and her first impression of me my life like lifelong best friend's new girlfriend's first impression of me is that I consumed like seven Christmas movies during the election during so, November early November met, yeah or like October I haven't <laughs> met her yet but she does have that she does know that about me so <laughs> sorry I just that was that was a lot but no that's amazing um, honestly they're a lot worse impressions to have tbh mm-hmm. that's yeah. true i could be watching like all like software um, porn you could well i was gonna say close like uh, a close uh, relative <laughs> to that um all the saw movies like mm-hmm. i would definitely be a little wary of someone <laughs> who when stressed watched the saw movies yeah yeah for sure yeah absolutely <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's, I, I was gifted randomly. I got a, a package this week from a coworker of mine that I haven't worked with for a year. That was just two t-shirts about Christmas movies. One of them I'm wearing. The other one says something similar. And I was like, I'm glad that we all know this about me. But, um, <laughs> Wait, tell them what it says. Oh, yes, yes. It's an audio medium stuff. Yes. Uh, uh, it says, this is my Hallmark Christmas movie watching shirt I have three of these they've all been gifted to me the other one says I just want to bake stuff and watch Christmas movies um they're all partic- they're all like things you would find on um like a white woman's kitchen yeah or like at a TJ Maxx on the clearance mm-hmm. aisle yeah yeah <laughs> that's a vibe um and one of them I will say is from my aunt who when I was living I lived with them in DC um and we would watch one every day as we were like doing like work from home like work stuff or decorating stuff and like we would lean into how dumb they were like we would be like the better the way you know if a Christmas movie is good is like how dumb it is like that was what we would so but that's again with the the really formulaic like hallmark right if like love actually is like kind of your all-time favorite Christmas movie Mm -hmm. um do you have like an all-time least favorite also I will say love if you look at love actually in a feminist lens there's a lot of issues too oh absolutely yeah that is I could go I think we yeah, I'm I'm kind of bummed we haven't talked about it this year, but maybe we'll have to have you back next year and yeah. unpack it if we're hopefully we're still doing the pod then, Pete. That's that's me planning out pretty far ahead. That's like inviting someone to a wedding like six months from now. <laughs> but um hopefully a year from now we'll be doing some more Christmas stuff. So um there's a couple so there's one of this year's that I watched that was particularly like whew, um The Princess Switch Two. 
Mm-hmm. In which Vanessa Hudgens, <laughs> yeah, she plays not one, not two, but three different characters in a, a parent trap style situation. Um, that one is particularly like silly. Operation Christmas Drop um, is one about a. Oh, I've been <laughs> wanting to watch that. It, it, do it. You have to. It's so. For, okay. Okay. Yeah. It's like you're like, oh my god. Like one of my particularly favorite parts is it is set in like a tropical place, and it's like they couldn't splurge for like good CGI or an actual fake gecko, and so it's like real people in the movie, but then it looks like a Pixar gecko on the wall. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, I think with people like if you have any semblance of like you have friends that have worked in politics, one of the main characters is like someone who works in a congressional office, and it's just so unrealistic. It's like hilarious. It's like the girl's like, I'm doing my shopping, like the cr- congresswoman's shopping, Chris is shopping. And I'm like, and she's like, but I'm waiting to be promoted to chief of staff. And she's like an entry level position. And I'm like, baby, baby, um, does not but, work that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's very, it was, it was fun. I, um, but yeah, I think the Netflix ones, um, there's also, um, a podcast that I listen to sometimes that's called deck the hallmark and it's these three guys one of them loves one of them hates and one of them is so so on Chris, hallmark christmas movies and they just go through and they like talk about what could be alternative plots to the hallmark movie because there's like side characters you're way more interested in than the main characters um and they talk about like where are the plot holes and like that kind of stuff so that's a fun thing too that i have listened to before that sounds awesome. interesting again yeah, just big stress relievers yeah, no, I love, I love this niche of yours. Uh, yeah, I really don't know where it started. I was thinking about that today. Like, I don't know. I mean, I've always liked Christmas. Here we are. Well, we're glad to have you here. Um, let's dive into some of these movies, why don't we, that we've picked. For sure. Okay. First one we're talking about, I feel like it seems to be everywhere, and yet I hadn't watched it until we had planned to talk about it on this week's episode um so it's the holidays a 2020 netflix original romantic comedy directed by john witzel um it's a screenplay by tiffany paulson starring emma roberts luke Brady, jack mainly jessica chapshaw andrew bachelor francis fisher manish dale and Kristen Chenoweth. So Holiday follows Sloan, a young woman living in who befriends Jackson, a young Australian golfer who soon becomes her Holiday, a date she can bring to every holiday gathering to avoid judgment from her family for not being in a relationship. So our question specifically about this movie is why is the Holiday worthy of feminist critique? And then we'll answer the question if it is feminist um some of the things I think about with this movie and with Christmas movies in general is like how sex adverse they make the women a lot of times like she's surprised that they're I mean it's later into the movie but there's like a part where she's surprised that he is like sleeping with other people and like she can't move on from her last relationship and well I do think there's some like realistic parts of that like with how much her family is like hounding her about it I think there's like young women um, of our age and especially the, get a lot of those questions um, depending on what your family situation is like and so I think there's some really support to that but I just also think that they like really make it seem like she couldn't have a fulfilling life 
without that, which I think is a huge problem. Yeah, that was something I was talking to um, Kayla, who's my best friend and regular we know, listener. We know Kayla. We um, know Kayla. Y'all know her. We were just talking about kind of what you said, stuff like how it suggests that like you can't be both like independent long term and like find love, or you can't be independent long term without love. Like it seems like all of these. It feels like in in the end, she like needs Jackson in a romantic way, and and or she needs some kind of partnership, and then ultimately like she's sacrificing an ele- an element of her independence by doing that. Like I, it just felt, it it always like to me sparks that question that classic question of like can women have it all, and or also like does love need like love or partnership or things like that need to be part of an angle or can it just be like she's a successful um I don't know like person (laughs) um I don't know how happy she is at the beginning of the movie so that is definitely like an element of it all but again from a feminist lens I was like I don't know what the full message that's being sent here is but I do appreciate that they highlight that kind of classic question that women in particular are are asked but I don't know that they necessarily deliver like they being the movie delivers an end result that that like critiques the societal norm yeah no I I think that's true I think like yeah there is like the part that she definitely doesn't seem completely happy at the beginning but I don't think again it's a movie so there's only so much they can explain but it really makes it seem like the only reason she's not happy is because she's single and she's gone through this breakup and that's the only thing her family thinks about and um, that kind of, so it just, again, it's a movie, so they're trying to prove that, but that that's frustrating and unrealistic in a feminist lens for sure. Yeah. I mean, I love a good cheesy rom-com, but part of me wonders, it's like, what if she had just, you know, gotten over this breakup in a normal, like, a normal way and not through this holiday thing? That would have been, def- like, it wouldn't have been as fun of a movie, but it would have been more realistic. And kind of to reiterate the points y'all been making, it's just, like, a young woman. Well, she would say that she's not a young woman because always talks about, I'm just about to turn 30 and I'm single and blah, 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 blah. And they love to repeat that. So I think it's just this age old, you know, motif or trope in a movie about a woman who's sitting at the the kid's table because she's not married. And, you know, I feel like, I don't know, they could have done more to be more empowering and break this kind of tired stereotype, but they choose to play into this fact and play into this trope um that being said like it was a funny movie and a good concept and I liked seeing all the different holidays um but I feel like they could have done more with like empowering like Emma Roberts character Sloan yeah I agree I think it was a fun movie and I think it also did kind of deviate from this trope and formula of like some other romantic comedies for Christmas because it wasn't just set around Christmas it was the whole year which I can't think of in many other Christmas movies um 
I think that there were some, also there were fun, some fun side characters for sure in this movie. It kind of has a little bit of Love Actually vibes in the sense that there are these other ro- romances and like relationships that we look at, but not in the same, they're not as evenly distributed, obviously. But like, I think they, there are some funny tropes with her sister who I'm, I think her name is Abby. She's played by Jessica Capshaw, who is, if you're a Grey's Anatomy person. I love um, her. Doc, yes, Dr. Arizona <laughs> Robbins. Um, who is, like, of her relationship, her husband seems to be, like, the one who is always taking care of the kids and who is missing the events to go stay home with the kids. And, um, I like, I think if we were to use a probably problematic phrase, like, one with the, she's the one with, who has, wears the pants, is what a lot of people would say. I'm air quoting, you can't see that in the podcast. <laughs> um, but she's the one who is, like, having fun and going out and causing trouble, I guess, and encouraging Sloane to do so. And then her husband's like taking care of the kids home at all times. And I think that's, they, I think that that feels very purposeful that they did that. Um, but I guess that's a different portrayal of women in relationships. And that's, this movie has some of that different portrayals of how women are in relationships to some degree. Yeah, the same as the case, um, I can't remember their names, but her brother and his wife, or his fiance who becomes his wife. York, um, yes. Yeah. York and his wife is Liz. I have a list. Thank you. Um, yeah, because I think Liz, Liz is someone who is like, okay, yes, marriage is my end goal. Like, this is, but you also see like, like the, uh, you see struggles in their relationship as well. Um, and I, yeah, I agree with you. I think the movie does a good job of kind of highlighting a lot of different ways in which women fit themselves into these kind of, into this like societal expectation, um, or, or don't fit themselves into it. So yeah. Does it make sense for us to just bite the bullet and dive into the, is this feminist question? Or are there other specific things we want to talk about with the holiday? Well, one thing, which this doesn't really have to do with the plot. I think the um, introduction to the movie of when Jackson's with that other girl that he goes home with is another like pretty anti-feminist in some ways because she's just that's like portraying well, the reason he's single is because women are crazy and do things like that, which was funny. It's like a funny device in a movie to have this woman who is like obsessive and talking about their sex life in front of her parents and bringing him home after like one date or whatever but that feels pretty anti-feminist to portray a woman that way but I don't know um if there's any other no I'm glad you brought that up I totally forgot but that's so it's um the movie how to lose a guy in 10 days in a in a sense because Mm -hmm. the they're trying to portray every woman is like crazy tells her parents about you and expect to get her a gift even though she said get me a gift and like the fact that they open the movie up that way it's almost like Emma Roberts character is supposed to be the the inverse of that so she's the cool girl um yeah I was y'all just gonna say that wondering about that episode five we talk about the cool girl trope um look oh, wow like that honestly like set the, is like the blueprint for the whole movie and like kind of sets the tone and I completely forgot about that 
I don't know. I, I agree that the cool girl, girl trope is a basically like thrust upon her because this man is like, this girl was so crazy. Like, I don't want anyone like that. And then she's fitting, even though like in that moment, we don't necessarily know if she has kind of an angle in terms of like any kind of like actual long-term relationship with him, but she inevitably does fit herself into that trope. Yeah. I think also the way they portray her, like running into her ex and his new girlfriend, which obviously like things are exacerbated or like exaggerated in that character because of like, he's French and his girlfriend is so hot and they run into her in a chocolate shop. But it's like that, that same thing of like, she can't find happiness without a relationship. And she's so sad and pathetic that she's like binging on chocolate on Valentine's day. And it's just like, there are so many people who are single and not sad about like Valentine's. Like obviously like there are times you're like, Oh, that'd be more fun that like, I'm sure that you like crave partnership, which is normal. But it's, like, not, like, to the point that you're, like, going, like, I don't know. It just, it's just the same thing of, like, they, my cousin, who is younger and more into, more in Gen Z culture than I am, says that on, they refer to cool girls as pick-me girls. Like, they're doing things. I don't know if that's a term that I'm just not, I mean, I'm somewhat familiar with it. But it's, like, doing things to seem cool, but not actually, like, things they both even not being true to themselves in that way, like doing things for men's approval, which I think um, we've all probably done at some point. But yeah, I do. I think that that scene also, she falls, she's like not crazy, quote, again, air quotes, but with the way they describe her, but then she falls into those those tropes at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And they like totally have opportunity to make her not sad on Valentine's Day because she's, you know, with her family, she's supposedly, like, no, I swear, like, I want to be by myself on Valentine's Day. I'm so happy with that. And, like, that would have been really nice to actually see that, because as someone who has been, like, I hate Valentine's Day if I'm in a relationship, and I hate it when I'm single. I think it's a stupid holiday. If you disagree, we can talk, but whatever. Um, So, you know, it would have been nice to, like, see, like, a woman like, no, I don't like Valentine's Day, and I'm happy about where I am in my life, and we're, like, hinted at that, but then we, you know, being insecure that she's single when she sees her new girlfriend, and I've seen that before. I've seen that trope. You're making me, like, want to have a boyfriend on Valentine's Day, and let's just get past that. Let's move on and yeah, wine and eat pizza on Valentine's Day and be actually happy about it. Yeah, and also, like, eat chocolate, but, like, don't have their, like, there doesn't need to be a reason for it. Just eat yeah, the she's, chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> she's, like, almost in pajamas, like, I don't actually remember if she's in pajamas or she's just, like, sweats or whatever, but it's, like, and her, she has to use a man, like, he has to save, quote-unquote, save the day, Jackson does, because he happens to be at the mall at the same time, and it's, like, again, with the, I, like, and I guess that is a plot point, because that's where they decide to do this holiday continued, but... Um, I realizing now as we talk about this that she does have her sister and her soon-to-be sister-in-law I think this movie could have really benefited from Sloane's character having like one female friend like mm-hmm. outside of because it's like I didn't even think about this but it's like wow like, legit doesn't have a friend yeah that's a bigger like, plot to me she got some other like interpersonal issues than just right. this relationship because <laughs> like which is typical of a cool girl trope is that like 
like the only women she has around her are like ones that have to be around her other than that she's like surrounding herself with men the concerning thing is she has like no one a little bit and we're like okay well where i'm glad they didn't introduce other characters to us because it would have been too much in my opinion it would have been the samantha american girl it would have been the samantha american girl doll movie with like five billion subplots and a bunch of characters that we don't get to know at all but yeah i don't know but we should we should move on um i personally think you can't really consider holiday to be feminist i think it kind of moves um toward in that direction more so than like you like you said stuff like the more formulaic holiday Mm -hmm. movies but i also think it really does play into some of these tropes that to me are um anti-feminist as well as just like there are like such little small changes that can be made to make it a little bit more forward thinking and progressive and it didn't do that but it's a great movie and i like you said Paige, i love that it tackles some other holidays like saint patrick's day doesn't get enough representation in movies so i was was happy about that nelly's like we have true representation in this episode (laughs) god no (laughs) um to be short, I think it's funny. I laughed out loud. I think the main guy is hot. He's Australian. Um, but I also think it's a stupid movie. I don't think it's feminist. And I might watch it again. I did like all the different holidays. And I liked how it's a little bit of a different plot. But it's not my fave. No one come for me. I, I agree. I think that it is, to me, it does its job. And that it is a Christmas movie that is like, funny or like entertaining to some degree like entertaining but um and it does get away from some of those formulaic tropes of christmas movies and i think this is one i watched like the night before the election and it really did a good job of distracting me during that stressful time but i agree there it is there there's some there's some big misses in there and i, I overall i think it's it's not definitely not feminist um and i don't yeah i don't know if i would watch it again but if I was looking for that stress relief, maybe I'll go back into my list of ones I go to. Yeah. I feel like I'll probably watch it again, but I don't know. I love all Christmas movies, even if they're absolutely horrible. So, But let's dive into our next one. So we're going to be talking about Happiest Season, which is a 2020 Hulu original romantic comedy film directed by Clea Duvall, starring Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis, Allison Brie, Aubrey Plaza, Dan Levy, and others. It follows a woman who goes home with her girlfriend for the holidays, but quickly finds out her girlfriend is struggling to come out to her conservative parents. So why do we think that happiest season is worthy of feminist critique? I think it's worthy of feminist critique because it's the first of its kind in this category of um, lesbian representation in a holiday movie. Um, And I think Honestly, I thought it was really funny. I thought it was a great movie, and I will definitely watch it again, and I'm really glad we're talking about it. Um, I agree. I think it is definitely worthy of feminist critique and people watching it because it is the first of its kind. Um, I think there have been some movies that have had side characters with with, um, queer relationships, but having them be the main stars, I don't know of any other ones. Could be wrong on that one. But um, I think that there are some misses in it like I think that there are some things that I don't love about it but I also think that queer people deserve bad Christmas movies too no I don't think this is a bad movie but uh, I think that um it there are things that like 
about it one of them being like Harper's seemingly like lack of empathy for how different her girlfriend's life is um some like even like from the very beginning her being like let's go climb on this roof of these people's house to see the lights whereas like it clearly was like she's never been in trouble before she doesn't care about that and as someone who is like terrified of breaking rules I was like that gives me anxiety um also quick note this is not a real critique I don't feel like people were being named Harper in like the early 1990s. I had not heard any adults named Harper other than, you know, Harper from Wizard of Waverly Place. But, Literally, um, that's so sad. <laughs> but like, that's just, just, the names in this movie were fascinating to me. First of all, second movie with a Sloan. I know. I didn't even realize that connection until we were literally talking about it. Um, so yeah, Harper, Sloan, Jane. Yeah, I don't know. Just interesting names. But... And then the twins had very funny names, but... It's funny, um, too, because so yeah. the girl's name is Abby, and that's the name of the sister in Holiday. So literally, like, oh, the two women are Sloane and Abby in both these movies. Wow, we didn't even plan that, but maybe they did. I was trying to look for the... They don't have this on the list I pulled up. They don't have the twins, Sloane and Eric's children's name. Oh, my God, those those twins are the stars of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> they are chaotic. Truly, they are chaotic. They are chaotic are. with a capital K. LMAO. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I think they're, that was one of the things is I think they're, like, her not re- respecting that Abby usually stays home to watch pets, and that might not be just something she does because she doesn't have other options for Christmas because she needs the money as a PhD student. Right. Um, and, like, just, like, a couple other things that she just is, like, very, like, selfish on and like not empathetic on and so yeah so I think the movie's fun and I think the ending gave me a lot of feels like after the big I don't know how much we spoil in this I assume we think people have you watched can it spoil. right yeah just okay so after the big blow up fight at Christmas which was like kind of heartbreaking for for Abby and for Harper was the only one of the only times I felt empathetic towards Harper I think not only times but towards all of them and those kids hearing their parents are getting divorced and like all this stuff and for Jane oh my Jane I think is my favorite I feel so bad for her I love Jane. justice for Jane um seriously like give her an Oscar she was so truly. funny she was she so was funny. so funny um and like uh I don't know they just that the end I think when Jane was finally being seen was like really big because I think that even um, I also don't know, like, how it would make me feel seeing this movie if I was queer. Like, I think that this other thing is, like, as a straight cis woman talking about this, like, um, I, I don't know. Like, I think it's really important to see this representation, but I also know that I cannot speak to, like, how important it is for people. Um, but I think that even the element of, like, Jane not being seen, and it wasn't, like, her sexuality that wasn't being seen, but she just wasn't seen as a person. And it's clear, like, that was a joke throughout the movie. But I, I was really glad to see that it wasn't just a joke throughout the movie, but that they actually addressed, like, oh, no, like, we're seeing her. She's talented. And, like, even if she wasn't talented, she deserves respect and love from her family. And, like, to be understood, which I think is something even if it's not based on sexuality, is a thing a lot of people are craving is to be, like, understood by their family. Yeah. I, I'm glad that you brought up what, um, the point you did, Steph, just on how we can't, like, we can talk about how it's great to have this representation, but how we can't fully talk about it since it's not part of our specific identity 
And I think that's part of why we're wanting to talk about just kind of an array of holiday movies. And we definitely wanted to talk about Happiest Season. Um, but, ho- but hopefully in the future, we'll continue to unpack it um, and hear other perspectives on it. I do think that, I don't know, there are definitely some like queer cinema that have le- a lesbian couple or a, a lesbian protagonist at the forefront. But to me, this is like one of the first films that I feel like has been like truly like mainstream and like with a, with a lesbian, um, with lesbian protagonists. So I'm grateful for that representation and I'm grateful for the represent, like, again, not for my own identity, but I just think it's important. Um, and I think the storyline is really necessary, uh, especially, like you said, with each of the experiences of, in particular, the three sisters, but then also Abby's experience as kind of the girlfriend that is thrown into this kind of mess of a family um, without getting to like, and also just like thrown back into the closet. Um, so I I do feel like it kind of fit the the in the scope of like a typical holiday movie while also telling a different story than we are typically hear um, in a holiday movie that are, that tend to be extremely heteronormative. Um, Also like I did cry and I feel like that's a part of holiday movies that are, uh, that is a commonality. I will admit I did cry. This just kind of shows how emotionally unstable I am. But I did cry um, at the Princess Switch. So <laughs> not to put myself on blast. But the first in the, part, the second one. I don't remember. I want to say the newest first. one? Yeah. Maybe I want to say the first because the second one I would be embarrassed by. But um, I'm embarrassed by both. I'm not going to lie. But the part of this movie that made me cry, which was funny because I feel like this part of the movie showed like the most like kind of like character arc of the family as a whole was like literally when the credits were rolling and it was like the mom's Instagram feed and she was like Abby and Harper true love I literally was like sitting there crying because I was like oh my gosh the mom's character arc like she is like realizing she can do things that she loves and like do karate even though it's like ungraceful or whatever she said and like I think it, it does highlight these pressures that wives are under that um that queer women are under that uh just I don't know women who give up their jobs women who are disrespected by their family like all of these different like storylines and again there are a lot of subplots but I do think it was I don't know I I was I was entertained and pleased um obviously there's always room for growth but I was I was grateful for yeah Oh, I was just gonna say I I agree. I think that I I was moving and I um I did really enjoy it, even with my like critiques of frustration with Harper and um throughout the movie I think and just like how much Abby had to put up with. But I also think there's like a that's a realistic presentation of like a relationship where there are like problems and people put up with maybe more than they should. But um, I did really appreciate the end. And I think that we, there could be a sub movie. This is kind of a joke. This could be a sub movie. There could be a sub movie that if Jane wasn't seen and heard by her family, that is like the Joker origin story is when the painting gets pushed over her head. And like, if Jane was a guy, and he was like, <laughs> so not that heard, we would be hearing about how he 
started doing really harmful things to himself or to other people or something like, like that would be the subplot of like if he was so that not not listened to like she was and then but I so I think that there could be like if they hadn't gone to her book thing and it gone so well and also her and Dan Levy I have uh, John is like Dan Levy's character's name their budding friendship at the end when they're all at the movie theater made me really happy so cute. And I, I think this what this movie does to beyond the trope of Christmas movies is that it takes this like it's that same formula of like there is this family and it's picture perfect and there is this tension point like there aren't a lot of Christmas movies but it is like actual real world issues in the tension point and like the climax of the movie that they're like she hasn't come out and she outs her sister and the other sister is not perfect either and they're getting divorced and like all of these things and Jane feel like Jane is ignored and like there it is so much more real world issues than the problems we see in horror movies so I think it also does a good job of blowing up that picture perfectness, which never happens in, in formulaic Christmas movies, or like in typical Christmas movies. So I think that it does a good job of that. Um, and because their problems are higher stake, the plot is more realistic in that way too. Definitely. So would y'all say this is a feminist film? Um, I'm curious, because I'm like, I don't know what fence. to say. I'm on the fence. I feel like I when I'm on the fence, my 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 friend Julie recently after she listened to the little women episode she was saying she was like little women is a part of feminist history but like in the context of today it's not feminist and I I feel like that has really reframed the way in which I think about things like I think this movie it's funny to compare it to little women as being in the context of feminist history but like I said I think it is kind of like at least that I know of and um that's something that we can to me, it's the first of its kind in terms of um, lesbian representation in holiday movies, but like, it's not very intersectional beyond that identity. Um, it's pretty classist. Um, it has, it still like has a lot of kind of the the tropes of typical holiday movies that tend to be anti-feminist. So like, I think it has, um, hints of feminism or pay as you said once notes of feminism like there are, <laughs> are like notes of or like tannins in, in wine or things like that but I, I don't know that I would be like this is overall feminist um I, I feel like we would be leaving out a really large group of people if we said that that's my I'm saying we but that's my perspective I I agree I think that yeah the lack of racial diversity is is stark um and uh the lack of a lot of representation outside of just queer representation is pretty stark so I think that well there are again there are feminist tones to it and it it goes past it goes over the bar for feminism in terms of Christmas movies but that bar was on the ground Mm -hmm. so I think there's a lot of room to grow and I think it is a step in that right direction but I do think there yeah that it the, the socioeconomic side of um the critiques for that the lack of diversity, racial diversity, all of those things are like really missing. And I agree, we would be leaving out a big part of population if we were to say this is feminist. Yeah, and I also just feel kind of uncomfortable as a straight person labeling it feminist or not, because like I, I'm only speaking for myself, I have no idea how a queer person would feel about this. Um, And kind of just to repeat what y'all have been saying, like I feel like it, it does good in certain senses. Like um, Dan Levy's character, I think 
you know, he pops off about um, marriage. Um, no, I was looking at your notes and his quote, how it's like marriage is like heteronormative box or whatever. Um, That's me. And I, every episode of this podcast. <laughs> I'm like antiquated heteronormative garbage, even though I like probably will get married. But I'm literally yeah. like, ah, ha, ha, I hate marriage on this podcast always. So I was dead yeah. like in that moment. I but I also, oh, good. Well, I just think like um, Harper, she's like a very like strong and successful woman in her career. And I like really respect that. And I like how her dad like, you know, uses her a lot. And I mean, I think, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like, it's nice to see like a powerful woman in like helping her dad in politics. Um, But I mean, that's like definitely not enough to like make the argument that it is a feminist film. And Harper has like so many flaws in like how she treats um, Kristen Stewart's character, whose name I can't think of right now. Abby. 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 Like I this is a whole thing that has nothing to do with if it's feminist or not, but, like, I don't think Abby should have given her a second chance. Like, if she, like, denied her, like, twice in front of her family, I think, like, you should drop that. And that, that kind of upset me, because it's, like, I don't think that this, like, happy ending tied with a bow, it's just not doing it for me. Like, I agree. Completely, yeah. Yeah, I collected I was, articles kind of, sorry, Steph. <laughs> um, I collect, I was like finding articles to read kind of after the movie before I even watched it because um, this was the last one out of the three that we're talking about that I watched. And it, there was one, I can't remember, um, and I'm not necessarily referencing it, so I'm not going to find it, but it was like, like a movie ending that like we didn't expect or something like that like I don't remember exactly what it said but it was something along the lines of that I was like oh my gosh do they break up and they stay broken up that would be nuts but like I honestly think that would have been probably a more realistic ending to this movie as if like they had broken up I I think even if they had gotten back together it wouldn't have been like in this like kind of dramatic way in front of the entire family kind of deal um and it really did seem like they were just in different places in their journey um and really Abby having to be being forced back into the closet I imagine is very traumatizing and like the fact that she went through that and and Harper didn't ever really fully acknowledge that that's what was happening even though Abby said multiple times like this is really hard for me I don't feel like Harper ever met her halfway or even like close to that in terms of supporting her in this thing that is definitely re-traumatizing yeah, and I think that the other, I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, and I think we'd be remiss to not, so correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Harper did this all once already to, to Aubrey Plaza's character in high school, that she, like, outed her, and that she, um, like, made life really hard for her, and I think we'd be remiss because I think a lot of the critiques I read online was, like, justice for, for I think Aubrey Plaza's character's name is Riley, Riley, and... Abby, like that was the end game that we were looking for. Is like that's a lot of the commentary I read online, and also like that. me too. And another thing Harper did, she was just out all night with her ex, and then she was like, was bad no big girlfriend, ba- like that like, pissed over over me again. off. But, and then when she yeah. was like, and left her when, left her girlfriend at her family's house, like, and, and when she was home. like, why are you like down my throat? And it's like, 
Bitch, like, I'm at your house. Be a good hostess. I was bitch. making sure that you got home safe. Oh, that made me. Yeah. So also, mad. like, I'm having, I'm like stuck here with your homophobic family again. In the yes. end, they're not homophobic, but like presumably homophobic. They were too, to some degree. Like, even right, they, they were. Around, they definitely were. They made comments about Riley being like, "It's it's good that she's a, a doing lifestyle. so well with her lifestyle oh, choice." Um. So, like, even if they're they've come around, they still are like. They still had those beliefs. Core. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, the fact that Harper was like, you're jumping down my, or like you're suffocating me or whatever. I was like, oh my God, how could she possibly be suffocating you when she's in like your environment and you didn't give her any of the background information she needed to know to like be successful here. She, you basically ambushed her with Go the off. fact that like you haven't yeah I'm just angry but I don't like Harper also um I really will say we all know if you've listened to um if you've listened to our Twilight episode you know that like I'm not a Twilight fan but I'm just really glad to see this like new layer for Kristen Stewart I feel like this um this role was really good for her um I feel like this was the perfect role for her I'm not gonna lie you know I think that she did a good job and I also think that they did a good job at making fun of some of those tropes from holiday movies like yeah. I'm gonna propose to her on Christmas morning and blah 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 like that's all good that to like poke fun of but um but again yeah I guess everyone I well I do believe this everyone deserves rom-coms that right. show them and absolutely they also deserve bad rom like everyone deserves to have bad rom-coms to laugh at too so but I do think that this was a fun movie it's just really frustrating in a lot of ways I think mostly in, with Harper but yeah. You also, know. justice for Jane. Justice like for said. Jane. I want Jane to have Ugh. her own movie. I want to read the book she wrote. I want to hear the stories of how she was traumatized as a child because that seemed plentiful. Like they were like, we put her in the basement. This. <laughs> um, so we couldn't so hear her. To lock her in there. I'm like, they probably yeah, would. Have. The lock was on the outside. Advocating. Yeah. Good thing. Self. Good thing she <laughs> self-advocated and didn't have that lock on there. Like they probably would have locked her and they didn't give a fuck about her. Anyway, ooh, I big swore. So um, Dash and Lily. Um. So like Dash and Lily is like a 2020 um Netflix series, and if you haven't seen it, seen it. Um. We're not gonna go through who's in it because I don't know, but. Um, it's basically Austin Abrams. It's all you need to Aust- know. Austin Abrams, who plays Dash, a teenager who hates Christmas, and Medora Francis, Midori Francis, um, stars Lily, a seventeen-year-old girl who wants to find love and loves Christmas. So I think we should just go and say if it's a feminist film or not, and then or a feminist TV series, and then explain why. Um, um, yeah. I think. Yeah, I hot think takes. Dash, here's some hot takes. I think it's beautifully made. It is like so aesthetically pleasing. This has beautiful colors. Whether or not beautiful colors. Entertaining. So beautiful. Entertaining. Fly through it. You can get through it so fast. You can fast. fly through it so binge worthy. I watched it I'm, in one day with my um, roommate and her fiance. Yeah, I watched it like by myself in one day and then I watched it literally the next day on Zoom um, or no, on Netflix Party with Kayla. So I literally watched it all the way through twice in a row, like back to back, um, because I liked it that much. I think it's, it has a ton of representation. Like Lily's adult friend group is incredibly intersectional. Um, I feel like the cast as a whole is relatively intersectional. Um, I think the fact that like, like, again, this is like what I always am critical of, but I think the fact that like love is this end goal and she, and, and Steph, you brought this up before we started recording, like, 
the whole premise is that she's never had love before and she's literally already 17 is like kind of absurd I don't know I don't think the majority of people have found love at that point by that point or they um, think they have with like their 16 year old boyfriend and then once right. they actually have a mature relationship they realize they haven't so Lily girl you're fine girl you're fine I, yeah also, you're living in New York City and like literally living your truth like and you I, have such good style yeah like, but like I think I would I don't think I'm like ooh, it's like su- I, I don't know that I would like go as far to be like this is feminist but I think it's like new and different and was thoughtful in the way at which it was made if that makes yeah sense. it I think that there is a realistic aspect that she was talking about like I've never been kissed like I do think at 17 I was kind of older when I had my first kiss I'm trying to think I might have been 16 or 17 I don't remember but I was like I think there is like definitely some worry about like not being as the same place as your peers and I think like that is a realistic concern and like having like you're you are at that point like you want a boy or a girl to be interested in you you want a you crave partnership but that or you crave similarities to the people around you I think is what you do you crave you don't want to be the, like the weird one which is the whole thing in this show is like her obsession with not being the weird one is like so aggressive and like projected on other people and used as an excuse for her to like do not be a nice person sometimes and I think that was frustrating to me as someone like I definitely have social anxiety but I think like they're like the projection onto other people I think was was frustrating to me so that's not that has nothing to do with whether this is feminist or not just some of my opinions about the show because I really enjoyed the show I thought it was super cute I thought it was a great Christmas vibes in New York City in the winter time um and it was different than a lot of Christmas movies because it is a TV show so there are a lot of things I liked about it but I think I was frustrated with her character a little bit in different parts with like the just like that being the only thing she talked about a lot was hard it just felt very forced, mm-hmm. that whole weird thing. And I was, like, I was also, like, annoyed because I feel like at her core, she really owns the fact that she's weird. She's, like, I make my own clothes. Like, I love, like, I'm obsessed with, like, this one bookstore and, like, made this whole, like, scavenger hunt, basically, for this boy to, like, find me or for me to decide whether or not he's worthy, which I think is, like, genius. I think every woman should have some kind of test for their significant other like that. So in that part, that part, I think, is feminist, um, truthfully, because it's giving women the upper hand, even though feminism is about equality, it's not about power. Well, it is about power. Anyway, whole other conversation there. But I think... I, I feel like she, like, at times is really owning her weirdness, and then she's like, because I'm weird, and I'm like, okay, chill out, like, no one, no one is, like, people think that, but no one's, like, mad, like, being, I feel like being, I feel like this movie could have had the whole thing where it's, like, being unique is, like, good, and I feel like that is a message, but I don't know. I wouldn't say it's anti-feminist by any means because there's intersectionality with her brother. There's intersectionality, like, with... Like, it's an interracial repre- relationship, yeah. There's, like, there's um, representation with her brother's sexuality. There's intersectionality with her friend group. And, Absolutely. like, Lily's not, like, a white... Like, she's mixed. And, I mean, Dash is white um, and rich. But, like, it's They're not anti... Rich. It's not anti-feminist um but like I don't know I don't know if I could go as far as to say it is feminist because I can't really like put to words 
how it's like empowering or like promoting equality besides what you just said, Nellie. I mean, like, but kind of just to like talk about what we've already said for like the past two movies, it's setting the bar at a higher standard for what we should expect from our Christmas movies. And like, I, I think it is a great TV series and I think it's a great start, but like, I would love to see more examples of um, empowerment and like, like, yeah, just like, yeah, just empowerment and examples of feminism and reasons why it's not just like every other love story where the the whole point is to fall in love, but like other lessons are learned along the way. Yeah. I think also um, that, yeah, that, that it is different and that it, there is this added element to it that I think is something that I hadn't seen in other Christmas movies and that, that there, I think one of my frustrations also, the other thing I don't know if I mentioned this, but um, was there is just a whole lot of privilege with these two that the things they're able to get away with and as like rich teenagers in New York City. Um, and I read a critique that said, uh, Dash and Lily set at Christmas in a pre-pandemic New York, uh, or is set in pre-pandemic New York with two teenagers slowly falling in love through a citywide scavenger hunt. It's a true holiday fantasy packed with every conceivable Christmas song and incredibly colorful, but still tasteful costumes and decor. But it's also a fantasy built on a series of crimes against people working in retail and service industries during the holidays, which I thought was very funny because they do like the scavenger that they're on. While it is fun, they are teenagers that are, you know, self-absorbed to some degree, I'm sure, or not aware of the way that their actions are affecting other people. The mall Santas, the people in the costume department, the dry cleaners, the taxi drivers, the people at the bar, like they're there's just like a lot of people in the service industry who are just trying their best to just get wrangled in on this. And I think um, that was from a a critique on Slate by Karen Hahn. But I do think that there are important parts of this show too, that or TV show too, that it's like, um, this is a Christmas Christmas TV show that has an interracial couple in Dash and Lily. Asian representation is super important and different characteristics of it and I think they stay away from um, a relationship with her family that is slightly different than in how Asian people are typically portrayed of like the the I hate this I know this is an offensive term but this is the the tiger mom air quotes again it's like um not as a stereotype um that is often portrayed in Asian characters in tv but like she her relationship with her grandfather and her grandfather's friends and like the family is I think that representation is important um and I think, yeah, it is a fun show. And I think there is some independence shown in her with the way she writes this um, scavenger hunt. And she kind of um, has the ropes during parts of it and stuff like that. But Absolutely. Well, we should make sure our action items but stuff before we do so. If there are any kind of um, Christmas classics or new releases that you feel like deserve a feminist shout out or should be put on blast for being a feminist flop. Um, I just wanted to give you space to do that just just since you are the the Hallmark Christmas icon. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know. I There are still a few I want to watch um, Christmas. I haven't watched Jingle Jingle yet, which I know is a big thing with representation. Like, it is a Christmas movie that has um, a pretty diverse cast. It's, I think, more centered as a children's movie, unless I'm mistaken, in which case, I take it back. 
Um, I can't think of a Christmas movie that I think is particularly feminist. I would, I probably, I could have done some more research on that, but I can't think of one that like really comes to mind because a lot of them do fall into this trope. The princess, if you're looking for some just like good old fashioned, really fall into this trope, but you don't necessarily have access to watch them on cable. Uh, the princess switch movies on Netflix, the Christmas Prince series on Netflix, also a good one. Um, Netflix, I think has done somewhat of a better job too with, with, um, representation in them like racial representation at least there's a uh, more diverse racially diverse casts and like uh, the christmas calendar holiday rush um those are some of the come out in the past couple of years that are fun but this might yeah. be a stretch and y'all might roast me for this um this is a super white heteronormative movie but i think the holiday has good examples of a single dad a woman who is emotionally um like not in touch with herself and then she finally allows herself to cry um kate winslet's character finally representing or finally realizing her worth and dumping her stupid boss um jack black you know he's not the cutest but uh he's like um one of the i love jack black romantic interests and then also there's more than just romantic relationships there's friendships in there um okay i'm done and i'd like to plug a charlie brown christmas because that's one of my favorites. And also Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which is like basically a claymation, I'm pretty sure. And it's like the most low-risk Christmas movie ever. And it's definitely not feminist. I don't think it's feminist at all. Um, But it does follow the typical Christmas tropes with marriage as the end goal. But marriage is Santa. So. (laughs) I was going to say, the uh, only other two Christmas movies that I don't think I've mentioned from like Netflix's um, catalog of them that I'm a big fan of, not because they're necessarily great movies. One of them just follows, it follows every single Christmas movie trope ever. It's Christmas Inheritance. It came out either 2018, 2019 maybe. And it's like a rich young woman from the city whose family corporation started in a small town and she has to go back and get the like the annual first toy for Christmas or whatever. I don't actually know what she has to do what she has to go back to get but it's just every single Christmas movie trope tied up with a bow and Christmas in the or holiday in the wild which stars the lady from sex in the city whose name I cannot remember and I need to look and Charlotte yes Kristen Davis and she ends up she's a vet who has left her job because of she stopped being a vet because she became a mom because you can't do those things at the same time. Didn't know if you didn't know that, but um, she can't do those things at the same time. Classic Christmas trope. Yeah. And I just she, left my job. I'm yeah. back in the small town. I don't so know if she, yeah. So, happens. But. Yeah. Well, no, so she's a, like a, a, basically a New York City socialite whose husband, when her, they send their son off to college, her husband's like, I want a divorce. And she's like, whoa, like mind blown, which is fair. That is a big life big things changing at once but she goes to I don't think they which is very frustrating they do not identify where in Africa she goes which is there's so many countries there if they could clarify that would be helpful but she goes and works on on an elephant safari or like an elephant sanctuary sorry um she went to go on a safari but ends up staying there and working on an elephant sanctuary and it's it's different but it's kind of fun and I would suggest it amazing well thank you for all of your recs and thank you for being here today let's dive into our action items because i know steph um you'll share a quote with us as well but we'll save that for the very end just real quick i want to plug um uh 
Boston ABCD or ABCD Boston. Um, actually, no, it's just called ABCD, but it's a nonprofit human services organization in Boston that each year provides more than 100,000 low income residents in the greater Boston region with the tools and resources needed to transition from poverty to stability and from stability to success. That's from their mission statement. And um, they have a program, they have like an adoptive family program. And through that, you can um, provide gifts for holiday wish lists um, for, for children. Um, and this is a way just to ensure that um, kids are getting holiday gifts um, and and other necessities that these families might need. So um, I encourage you to visit bostonabcd.org or you can contact um, you can contact their uh, if you're interested in this in particular adoptive family program, you can contact them at, um, by emailing them. Uh, at give at, a, at bostonabcd.org. So for my internship, I was to write a blog post and list different nonprofits in Birmingham that people should consider when um, feeling in the giving spirit. And one of them really caught my eye and I wanted it to be my action item for this week. And it's the Community Kitchens of Birmingham. And it is essentially a nonprofit that provides lunch every day um, to the hungry and breakfast five days a week. Um, the doors, they say their doors are always open. You do not have to be a homeless person. You can come, you can basically be anyone. And if you're hungry, they will provide you a meal. And I just think that is a great resource and reminder that, um, you know, to just constantly be giving to everyone um that needs help and so to volunteer or to donate um or to even just see their resources you can go online to the communitykitchens.org um as we talked at the beginning i'm in a, pro a master's program for my master's of sport management at the university of massachusetts amherst um, and i'm passionate about women's sports and um, I don't know if you have all been following the story of the past couple of weeks with Sarah Fuller, who was the goalkeeper for the Vanderbilt women's soccer team and was brought on to um, be a place kicker um, on the Vanderbilt football team as the first woman who was ever played in a power five game, which is one of the, the five big um, college football division one conferences. Um, and then that was, I think, November 30th. And then this week, she was the first one to ever score points in a Power 5 game in which she scored two extra points after touchdowns for Vanderbilt. And she promoted an organization called Play Like a Girl. Um, it's iplaylikeagirl.org. And so it is not necessarily around the themes that we talked about today, um, but it, it connects girls with opportunities for STEM and it, it gets them more interested in science, technology, engineering and math through sport. And um, it says the background in sport can improve young women's leadership potential. So using sport to help them gain leadership skills and gain exposure to that the field of STEM. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that resource. And thank you so much for being on the podcast this week. Um, it's been wonderful to see your face on Zoom and, and chat about these holiday movies. Steph, is there anything you wanted to plug? Um, my Instagram and Twitter is StephCo26. My other Twitter account that I use for like 
diversity and inclusion around sport is Steph A. Collins um, or Amazing. Stepha Collins, if you're saying that quickly. Um, but yeah. Awesome. Do you have a quote from the movie um, for us to wrap up the episode? Um, it's from Jane in Happy This Season, and it says, I don't have any secrets, but I am an ally. Justice for Jane. Queen Jane. Jane is the best part of any <laughs> of these movies we watch. We love her. All right. Well, this has been Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. Episode 30. Episode 30. Bye. 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 <laughs>